sent forth his word and healed them and delivered them from their destruction. Psalm 107 verse 20. The message you're about to hear is a straightforward, down-to-earth and insightful teaching by Lady Reverend Adelaide Heward-Mills. Lady Reverend Adelaide serves under her husband, Bishop Dag Heward-Mills, as a pastor at the Lighthouse Chapel International. Lady Reverend Adelaide is a handmaiden of God and is privileged to have been used by God to pastor and to speak the Word of God, both nationally and internationally, to all ages and gender. She has a plethora of messages on many issues, experiences, and situations of life from God's perspective. Get ready to be transformed as you listen to this message by God's anointed handmaiden, Lady Reverend Adelaide Heward-Mills. Praise the Lord and welcome to the question and answer segment of this program. I realize during my conferences and even after that we all come and we have questions, we have dilemmas, and we have issues. Everybody has issues, no matter who you are. The woman with the issue of blood was not the only woman with issues. Hers was an issue of blood, but we have issues in all our lives. And I am no wise sage or any super woman, but I know by experience, for the Bible says, I have learned by experience, you know. So I know ex by experience that the Bible has the answer, that the Bible is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path in a very dark and dreary world. And it is the counsel of God that by his grace I seek to bring to the people of God. I have no wisdom of my own, but only the wisdom that comes from above and the wisdom that comes from the word of God. Therefore, let us just relax, trust in the Holy Spirit to bring us answers Trust in the Holy Spirit to be a wonderful counselor in this segment. And trust God to bring us answers. Beloved, I am not the answer. Jesus is the answer. Jesus is the answer for the world today. Above him there's no other. Jesus is the way. Jesus is the way. Reflections of your past 
think you cannot climb I know your skies are dark You think the sun won't shine In case you don't know But the word of God is true And everything he's promised He will do it for you That's the reason I say Jesus is the Blessed as you listen. Hallelujah. Shall we pray? Father, thank you that you are the repository of all wisdom. We pray for your leading and your counsel in this second session. I pray that the heart cry of many hearts will be answered. And I pray that we'll receive direction and counsel for our lives in Jesus' name. Amen. Are the questions ready? We will do the first part and then come around again. I know I am valuable and loved by God. Just just one issue that I don't know, that I don't know what my calling in life is. I sometimes feel a greatness will come forth from me, that God will use me in some great way. But I'm still not clear. I've prayed about it. But I do not know how to clearly hear the voice of God. What can I do, please? First Corinthians chapter 1. Okay. Are we there? First Corinthians 1. Reading from verse 25. For consider your calling. Or King James will say, for you see your calling, brethren. That there were not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong. And the base things of the world and the despised God has chosen, the things that are not, that he might nullify the things that are, that no man should boast before God. Amen. First of all, I want to say that a calling is something you see. Because the Bible says, for you see your calling. Amen. There are not many great, not many mighty, not many. So a calling is something that you see. But do you see it immediately you are born? I don't think so. I think that the Bible says that if you are faithful in a little, God entrusts much to you. The Bible says, do not despise humble beginnings. And everybody God called has to start with the base things. Amen. The things that don't look so impressive in this life. For instance, with David, he was tending sheep at the backside of the desert. If I were to call you to say that you will be king in some years to come, but your training must start in the backside of the desert by looking after sheep. You will ask me what the correlation is between looking after sheep and then ruling in a palace. Lady Pastor, if anything at all, you must start to teach me ethics and etiquette of the palace. 
but not things to do with sheep and all that. But God knew that. He had to prepare David to kill Goliath. And the only way David could kill Goliath was by being prepared to fight the bear and the lion in the backside of the desert. Amen. And as he was faithful in the places where he was not known, in the backside of the desert, you don't have any companion. You don't have any classmates. Nobody knows you and nobody recognizes you. That is why when Samuel came to anoint, to choose from the sons of Jesse a king, David did not even come up. Because he was not among the eligibles. And if anything at all, he was in an obscure place. But the Bible said that God said, no, I have not chosen him. And that we will not sit down unless the one from the back of the desert has been brought. And then when he was brought, Samuel anointed him king. But before this came on, he had been sent by his father to take cheese to his brothers. So God's calling starts with menial things. It starts with unrelated things. And it starts with faithfulness. Bible says that David rose up and left the few sheep to a good a keeper. And then he ran to the battle lines with the cheese. Many times, what God calls us to doesn't look like what we are going to become. Amen. And it's not a good attitude to think that this is just a bridge I'm crossing to greatness. But it's a good attitude to think that every stage that I'm at, I will give my best to it. Hallelujah. So if it's cheese, his brothers were soldiers, well accomplished on the battlefield. And you, all that you can do is to run an errand of taking cheese. But God knew that to conquer Goliath was not to be conscripted in the army, but to be in the desert where you meet wolves, you meet bears, you know how to choose stones to fight. God knew that that's what David needed. And he used that to make him king. And he didn't become king overnight. He had to go and serve in Saul's palace as a nobody. He had to put his life at risk where Saul, he would play music. What does playing of music and being a king, but it gave him opportunity to stand before the king. It gave him an opportunity to be in the palace and to attend finishing school, to see how things are done in the palace. And many times when you have to go through the palace, through the formal way, there will be no way for you. But God uses these seemingly ignoble, despised ways to get you in. I always tell my staff in Accra that, look, we are privileged to have in our department, under my office, the office of protocol. Because when other people are struggling to come into the presence of great visitors and to get a blessing and just to have some interaction, we, we just have to bring you water. It gives us access. Juice. It gives us access to greatness. We don't need to do anything great. We just do menial things. But the menial things usher us into the sensitive places and into the corridors of power. And so it says to the things of God. If you are faithful with the little that God gives you, then he entrusts more to you. But if you are not faithful, you're always looking at it and let it pass quickly so that I'll get to the next stage. God will know you. So you will not know your calling now, but be faithful with what God asks you to do so that he can lead you step by step. Because if you depend on your wisdom, you won't see God's calling. You will say, if I'm called to be this, why am I serving cheese? If I'm called to be this, why am I playing a harp? 
in front of Saul. If I'm called to be this, why am I being sent to Philistine territory? The king, the, being a king, and how is it related? But God knows how it's related. So you will not see your calling, but you should know that you see your calling, but you cannot interpret it with a natural eye. That's what I mean. And so God bless you as you, you remain faithful in whatever he has called you to. If they say sweep the floor, sweep the floor. I have swept the floor of the church many times. I have scrapped many times. But now you say, I want to be like Lady Pastor Adelaide. So the one I say, daughter, then they say, you can make it. It's not like that. <laughs> Amen. Amen. So I think that you will see your calling by being faithful in whatever God places in your hands and doing your best with it. Amen. Pastor, what do you think about all the beauty contests of today? <laughs> How far or close is the practice to what the Bible speaks about? I must say that this is something I have thought about. And I realized that this beauty contest that Esther contested in was one with a purpose. It was one to further the kingdom of God. But you, your beauty pageant that you go for, how does it expand the kingdom of God? Does it save God's people from being killed? Does it stop them from be- perishing? I mean, show me your fruits and I'll show you whether it's worth. So that's what I think. <laughs> Amen. And then also, Esther was not such a willing party. Let me go and wear a bikini. And she had to be encouraged. That's a godly thing. Try and join the pageant and try and but we go for our own sensual reasons so don't cover it with spirituality it is sensuality amen i'm a pastor's wife and i want to be the help me that god wants me to be how can i help my husband to go as far as he can go for god first of all you have to recognize what your husband is doing you can only help what he is doing And you can only help what God has called him to do. But you cannot lead him into what he... Because you are a help meet, not a leader meet. Amen, ladies. So you need to recognize, what is he doing? Then I will help him in doing that thing. But not that I've come as a help meet. So now I'm going to give you instructions. And you have to follow. That is when we run into Jezebelism. Okay? Jezebel was not king, but she took over, used the king's stamp and all that. And we have a tendency of doing that. So if you want to be a helpmeet, find out, examine, look at your husband's life and look at what he's doing. And then use wisdom to complement what he's doing. And also ask God how you can complement what he's doing. My husband has been um, building churches and planting churches. He has been doing crusades and he has been building branches and he has been mentoring pastors and all that. So I think that I don't sit down to say, um, what should I do? But I look, I look out for what is happening. So if, for instance, he has to send people on missions, maybe he's now into missions, he feels that he must send people out to establish churches, to bring the gospel and all that. I see that he's doing missions. So I look at it and I say, what part can I play? And I think that the part that I can play, as for as at now, is to be an encouragement to the missionaries. 
to be an open door for missionary wives, to give them the opportunity to talk to me if they want, to send me email when they want, to be able to send them CDs and messages that I think may help them and encourage them along the way. And um, sometimes I've given my email address, and when they've gotten there, they'll, they'll send me back mail that this has happened. I'm having this challenge. What should I do? And I think that that's the way I encourage missionary wives. And when they came for a camp in Ghana, you know, they had had a lot of days of camp meeting, bishop ministering to them and all that. And then I thought, what would I like to do to help this particular thing that's happening? And I thought that I needed to be the wives, especially when you, you are very educated or qualified, and you go to a mission field, and you happen not to find a job. What do you do? How do you survive? Where your only counselor is your pastor, your husband. And when he's not there for you, what do you do? How do you survive? You know, so I was thinking, I said, oh, this meeting, they've had so many days, it may not be useful, but I believe that the Lord said, go ahead. And so we did, and we prayed, we talked, we explored the things that they could do. And I say to the glory of God that now I've got very good feedback from the mission fields, and things are happening with them and for them. So you have to look at what is happening and then supply your bit and not look down on what you have to do. But God will honor your desire and he will show you what to do. Um, How do you know what you are called for? I think I've answered that. Okay. How do you act towards a husband that has left the house of God? Hmm. How do you behave? Towards a husband that has left the house of God. Well, a husband has left the house of God. Sometimes he's left the house of God, but he hasn't become beastly like Nabal. How many of you know about Nabal in the Bible? Abigail's husband. And sometimes he just doesn't believe. But in this case, you are saying he has backslidden. I believe that you can counsel him. He may not listen. You can pray for him. And then... You can just lead a godly life. Because the Bible says that if they are not won over by the word, they will be won over by your behavior and your character. And it's not easy to love an unlovable person. And it's not easy to love somebody who does not deserve your love. But that is the kind of love Jesus had for you and I. And that is one of the greatest tests. That's why I now understand why God said the greatest is love. Because it's not easy. To love something that's not lovely. But you are supposed to love him unconditionally. Whether he's good, whether he's bad, whether he's kind to you, whether he's unkind. You don't look at his actions, you look at, at God. Hallelujah. And you love him as Christ loved us. The Bible says, while we were yet sinners. Yet means still, in our sin, God loved us. And that's the same kind of love you have to extend to your husband. But you must not also overwork yourself as if you are a personal Holy Ghost. You've prayed, you feel sad about his tragedy, you pray that God will reach him, but you are not the one at work in him both to will and to do. The Bible says it is God who is at work in us both to will, but many wives, we want to become at work in them to will and to do. When we do that, we have traversed our borders. Amen. So leave that to the Holy Ghost and you do your part. And trust God to do the rest. Amen. 
How much must a woman submit to her husband? <laughs> Ephesians chapter 5. See, I, I, I don't preach my ideas. I preach what God's word says. Ephesians chapter 5. I know many women don't like these verses. Wives, be subject to your own husbands, not somebody else's husbands. But we are good at being subject to other people's husbands. We are experts. But this one, wives, be subject to your own. God is wonderful, the way he defines things. As to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the savior of the body. Verse 24, but as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands in some things. In a few things, in a majority of things, in everything. That's why before you marry, you must look at the man and say, Can I submit to this thing? If you can't, don't marry him. And say that, Look at him, something be asking me to submit to you. You chose, lady. You said I do. And it says, wives, be subject. It didn't say girls. Okay. 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 If you want to be a wife, you have to be able to submit. If you cannot submit, you are a girl, you are a female, you are not a wife. It's not coming to stand here at the altar and saying, uh, uh, having a nice wedding gown. But when you become a wife, it's a wives. Wives, not girls, not females. Not, is it Y chromosome or... But wives, submit yourselves. It didn't say be forced into slavery and bondage. But you submit yourselves. So yourself, you have yourself in your hand. And the Bible says submit yourself. It's something you must do yourself. It's not something you must be forced to do. Adeline, amen. <laughs> it's not something you must be knocked to do. It's not something you must be uh, 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 forced and put into forced uh, slavery to do. Wives, be subject to your own husband. Ask to the Lord. If you don't bring that aspect in, you cannot be subject to a man. If you don't see God as part of the picture, you cannot and you will not submit to a man. Because when you look at it, you say, he does not deserve my total submission. Look at him. Look at him. But you have to do it as unto the Lord. Amen. Then verse 24 says, as the church is subject to Christ. When Christ says something to the church, the body of Christ, we don't say, look, go and burn, go to hell. I'm not going to do what you say. When we do that, then we are not Christians. And the Bible gives us that as Christ is head of the church. So the same way you submit to Christ, submit to your husband. It's not easy. Especially if the man is not right up there and he's a neighbor. But you chose it. Sometimes you wonder why a nice, beautiful woman with, like Abigail with brains and beauty should marry a fool. But we are good at that. As women, we are good at that. Amen. But there's also submission with wisdom. You see? There's a message that the Abigailism. I don't know if I'll ever have the opportunity to preach it, but... In Abigailism, Abigail was married to a fool. 
And when David came to ask the husband for help, for food, they had gathered his sheep, everything. Nabal just started to shoot his mouth, talk anyhow. These people these days, they rebelled. And then somebody told Abigail. And Abigail used wisdom. She took food. She got on her donkey. She sent the food ahead. She sent the servants ahead. And when she got there, she fell down on her her knees to David and said, Upon me, my Lord, upon me, let the sins of my husband be. You know, that was wisdom. And she talked David out of killing Nabal. But before she went, she didn't inform Nabal that she was going. Amen. And when she came back, she didn't tell Nabal. Why? The Bible says that Nabal was drunk. So you don't talk to a man when he's not sober. (laughs) It is wisdom to talk to him when he's sober. And so it was after the drink had worn off, Abigail told Nabal, this is what happened. I went here and I went there and I went there. And then after a while, God took him away. But at least she had done her part. And she had interceded for him. So if you marry a fool too, you need some Abigailism to help you. Amen. What is long life commitment? Is marriage. Long life commitment is marriage. Long life commitment is giving your life to Christ. I don't know what that question means. Why is it so hard to find someone real? Because you are not real yourself. What is long life commitment? Knowing Christ, you are supposed to be committed to Christ for the rest of your life. When you get married, you are supposed to be committed to one partner for the rest of your life. That is why marriage is not easy. Amen. Amen. So you have to look at the mind. Say, can I go with him through thick and thin? You come and stand at the altar. You say, for better, for worse. You think that the people who wrote the vows, they just wanted to be poetic. No. They are saying that there will be better times and worse times. In sickness and in health, there will be times of sickness and times of good health. In prosperity and adversity. These are all experienced people penning these things. You, you just came, you say, nice words to say. No, nice words to live. So marriage is a lifetime commitment. God does not expect us to break our marriages or to end up in divorce or to end up in infidelity. And God did not create marriage to punish us. He created marriage to bless us. Amen. The Bible says marriage is honorable. The book of Hebrews. Marriage is honorable. It's not a shame. It's something that is honorable. And the marriage bed undefiled. But most of the time, we don't believe God's word. Because when we look at our experience, we say, really honorable, lady pastor. Are you sure? Marriage is not already made. It is what you make it. It is something you cultivate. It is something you plant, you cultivate, you invest in. So you see people, they are married for 20 years. It's very nice. I wish, if wishes were horses, beggars would ride. (laughs) Amen. So lifelong commitment is marriage. And that is why it should not be entered wantonly, unadvisedly. Anyhow, you are just going to marry. No, you must be ready. And that is why if you are a single woman too, you should enjoy your singlehood. But if you say you are single, be single for real. Not that you are, you are bipolar. We can't see you. You say you are single, but you lead a, 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 a married person's life. That does not help us. Amen. 
So you have to think about it before you get into it. But don't get into it with fear. Get into it with faith. Life is faith. If you think about accidents, you won't drive. If you think about 9-11, you won't fly. Everything has a risk factor involved with it. But you have to trust the living God. For the Bible has said that the just shall live by faith. Okay, so marriage is a nice thing. I wouldn't like not to be unmarried. I wouldn't like to be unmarried. I don't know about you. But it also takes commitment and hard work. It doesn't fall from the sky. And if there's anything that will test your fruits of the spirit, whether you have it, it is marriage. <laughs> Once I went to a wedding, Pastor Jacob was preaching, one of our pastors said, marriage will wash you inside out. That's a revelation. <laughs> so you have to be ready. That is long life, uh, lifelong commitment. I hope I've answered your question. Why is it so hard to find someone real? I don't know what you mean by real, but most of the time, how you are, you get attracted to the type of people who are like you. I don't know how to. If you want a very spiritual person, often you also have to be real and spiritual. You know, so that you can attract. You have to keep the right company. You see, but you are not real. Why do you want to marry a real person? So yes, the world is full of real and unreal people. And Christians are not perfect. They are only godly. Amen. So God will give you a good husband, but a perfect husband you won't find. And you yourself, you are not perfect. So it's so hard to find someone real because maybe you are fellowshipping too much with unbelievers. You are looking at the wrong places. And you are keeping wrong, com- wrong company. And even when you say you are a believer... The person is violating you. He should, he's touching you where he shouldn't touch. Say, oh, stop. I speak in tongues. Oh, stop. I'm a believer. But you are still flowing in that. It shouldn't be so. Amen. I miss his presence. How do I find it back? The book of Revelation says, I have this against you because you have left your first love. And God said that return to your first love. How? By doing the things you used to do again. So don't wait for your emotions to line up. You line up in your actions and your emotions and other things will follow. So begin to do the things that you used to do. Begin to spend time in his presence. Begin to listen to tapes. Begin to be in worship. Even if you don't enjoy it, with time, your emotions will line up with it. Amen. Lady Pastor Adelaide, I fight with the spirit of insecurity which has held me back a lot in my life. I've not been able to reach out in ministry. Sometimes I tend to go hide inside my shell. What advice can you give me in dealing with my insecurities? I think that everybody has some level of insecurity sometimes. For instance, when you are going for your first job interview, you feel insecure, unsure. You know, we all have a bit of it, but When it gets to a certain place where it paralyzes you, then now it's an evil spirit and it's not the spirit of God. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and of a sound mind. How do you heal your insecurities? The Bible says that he sends forth his word to heal us. The word of God is supposed to be a healing drug that you take. And just like antibiotics, when they give you, they say it takes three times a day. 625 milligrams. Then you decide that you take half. <laughs> you will take it when you remember. You will take it once a day, and you won't take it for five days. It won't work. 
So in the same way, Joshua 1.8, this book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate upon it day and night. So this drag is two times a day. <laughs> day and night. But look for verses that deal with insecurity and fear. And that overcome it. And then meditate on it. That means matter to yourself. Say to yourself over and over again, day and night. Put your name in it. You know? Maybe you need to meditate on a verse like, The fear of man is a snare. You need to meditate on, The Lord shall be my confidence. I will not be afraid. What can man do unto me? But you may need to put your name in. That I, Adelaide, Adelaide, you preach to yourself, Adelaide, the fear of man is a snare. Who saith a thing and it cometh to pass when the Lord has not decreed it? The Lord shall be my confidence. I will not be afraid. I, Adelaide, I will not be afraid. Adelaide, don't be afraid. Adelaide, arise. Call yourself. Preach to yourself. You are your first parish. And I believe that God will help you. Amen. I'm married to my husband for a year now. And I have a problem with my in-laws. Always a part of my marriage. They are able to control my husband and speak never negative things about him me to him how do i deal with this with them i feel insecure to them because they are his family they have gone so far as then you cancelled it well first of all my heart goes out to you because it's not easy when your in-laws don't love you but your in-laws are like anybody else the bible says in matthew chapter 5 verse 41 love your enemies so there are four categories of people. So take A, B, C, or D with your in-laws. Which ones do they fall into? Love your enemies, number one. Number two, do good to them that hate you. So the first class is enemies. The second is those that hate you. And the third is bless them that curse you. So the third is the people who curse you. And the fourth, those who despitefully use you. So A is your enemies. B is those who hate you. C is those who curse you. And D is those who despitefully use you. <laughs> and if it's all of the above, then do all of the four. The first one is to love. Love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. No, there's them that hate you. Pray for them that despitefully use you. Do good to them that hate you. So the first one is love. The second one is do good. The third one is bless. And the fourth one is pray. Okay, so depending on where they fall, you look for the medicine for them. Okay, and pray for strength to walk in love because it's not easy. But the Bible says that love never fails. And I tell you, you will win. I've seen it happening, you will win. And if you get Bishop's book on model marriage, there's a chapter on in-laws. And it talks about all these things. And I believe that God will bless you. Amen. <laughs> So don't give up. It's not an impossible situation. You'll be okay. Is it okay to divorce when abuse is involved? Well, I always say that the Bible says that Jesus said, if you are being beaten and persecuted in one city, run to the other. I don't think that it means that divorce, but it means that have a separation. Run to safety. Amen. Run and then seek help. But don't sit there and say, in the name of Jesus, as they are beating you to pulp. In Jesus' name, I overcome you. No. You need to walk in wisdom and also seek godly counsel. So run, baby, run, okay? 
How can you learn to hear the voice of God? Oh, get Bishop Dagiwood Mills' book, The Art of Hearing. But first of all, you, you, you become accustomed to God's voice by obeying him, being used to obeying him. Because the book of Hebrews says that, and these are they who by reason of use have exercised their minds to descend between good and evil by reason of use alone. So when you get accustomed to using your life, being, leading a life of obedience, you become now accustomed to God's voice. And then you are able to discern between right and wrong. That's the first starting point. Before God speaks to you through the Holy Spirit, and through, you have to be accustomed to his voice. And the book of Hebrews says that these are they who by reason of use, anytime God speaks to you, you obey. Anytime God speaks to you, you yield. Anytime God speaks to you, you flow. So by reason of use, you become used to. That's how we become used to people's voices. By hearing it over and over again. By relating to them over and over again. By interacting with them over and over again. And it's the same with God's work. But also get the book, The Art of Hearing. I think it will bless you. Pastor Robert, do you have it? What is your duty or responsibility as a pastor's wife to support him in ministry? I think you can also pray for him. I've answered this thing partially, but... You can also pray, and you can also ask your husband what you can do to help him. You see, sometimes a person knows an area in which he needs help. And sometimes you yourself can see that my husband is very good, but in this area, he needs my help. And then you bring the help in there. Amen. My husband is very um, nice and all that, but he's not very chatty sometimes. And um, especially when we go to places which are very official and he doesn't know the people, I get very surprised because he becomes very quiet. And so when we meet the people and the people say, oh, hello, this, he doesn't say anything. So I've realized that I have to step in. So hello, we're happy to meet you. You know, when we even met Benny Hinn in Korea, he will, he will recover, but initially he just looks, you know. So I set the ball rolling. Well, Ben Hinn came to our table and said, brother, I just feel drawn to you. I feel that I must just fellowship with you and flow with you. You know, and we're surprised because we were not sitting near where he was. So when he came and then he was chatting and all that, then I said to him that, oh, we watch you all the time on TBN in Ghana and all that. Then after a while, I saw that my husband had taken the conversation was in fully, but he needs my help to warm up a bit. Juicy. And then when visitors also come to my house, when he comes, as soon as he gets down, he starts to ask you about ministry. So what's your next move? So what's the Lord saying? But that's not my style. So I will come and say, oh, could you want to have a drink? So how was your journey? It was bad, eh? It's not conscious, but I realized that that's how he also warms up and then begins with the serious issues of life. So you have to look at him and know where he needs help. And he can also show you where he needs help. And God can also show you. And I think that one of the greatest services a wife can render her husband is to intercede for him. You know, it's a quiet ministry, but it's a very powerful one. How do you move closely with a man of God to catch the anointing when you are a woman? I think that, first of all, proximity does not always mean physical proximity. And sometimes the people who are even closest physically are the furthest spiritually, because they just move on carnal basis. But you can follow somebody closely, Bishop always says, through tips 
and through books. Because physically, when you have the opportunity, it's good, but it's limited. How often will you meet the person in Trinidad? How often will you meet the person in America? How often will you? But through books and tapes and what God has poured into the person's life, you can catch that anointing. Amen. And that one is patient. Even when you put on the CD, you can rewind. You can, but when you are talking to a person physically, you cannot rewind. How much can he say to you? So that window is good, but we follow more closely and more effectively through books and tapes and hearing the person's voice all the time. I think you should also get catch the anointing. You see, all these are in books. All the knowledge is hidden in books, so please get the books and then you'll be set free. Shelly, please collect the rest of the questions. Do you think that women should cover their heads in church? <laughs> I know that this is a very controversial topic. But the Bible says in that verse, 1 Corinthians 11 or 2 Corinthians 11, I believe, it says that for the woman's covering is the man, and the man's covering is God. So it depends on how you look at it. Amen. But if I were going to minister somewhere and I was required to cover my head, I would. Because Paul said that I've become all things to all men. So if it's just covering my head so that the gospel will go forth, I will pay that. If it's a price... I'll pay that price. Amen. But I don't think it hinders God from using you or ministering to you. I have my God. I love my God. But sometimes I feel like I'm not doing enough. I've been praying about it and I can't seem to be clear enough on what to do. That's why we have shepherds. That's why we have pastors. So that they can set us to work in the house of God. And so that our giftings and our callings can come forth. And so you are praying and all that, but Speak to the one who has oversight on you and tell him, Pastor, I want to do something for God. I want to obey God's call. And he will give you something or somewhere to start from. And then you will see God's hand um, as you take a step at a time. I've given my daughter to my Lord. I know that she will be a powerful woman of God. Sometimes it's so hard because I don't think she understands. I would like for you to take her up before I die. I would like for God to take her up before I die. How do I deal with it? I don't understand the take her up. Is it to die? Or for God to take over completely? Trust God. Don't become like Rebecca, who thought that God has given her a prophecy about Jacob, so she has to work it out so that it will come to pass. And when Jacob said, Mommy, I'm afraid a curse will come upon me, Rebecca said, let the curse be upon me. I will see to it that whatever. And the son she loved, she never saw again. By the time Jacob was returning, Rebecca was dead. And it's God who had to deal with Jacob and make him what he wanted to be. God wrestled with him and made him a prince. So many times as parents, we overstretch our boundaries and we begin to play God. But we must learn to do our part and leave the rest to God. I believe as you intercede, God will honor your heart's desire. Amen. Why do people of the world appear to be having a more successful life than Christians do? Well, it depends on how you define success. And David said, I was very angry when I saw that you had set the wicked in great places and you have left us who know you. But when I went into your temple, I received instruction and understanding. I saw that you have set them in slippery places. So they may be successful, but they are not secure. They may be successful in the world's eye, but they don't have eternity. They may be successful, but they are not happy. But your peace, your joy, a place to run to when you are in trouble, 
and intimacy with God that nobody money cannot buy that. And so they may look successful, but what is success? And then also know that God has said that he will bless us holistically. And so God will bring you into a good place. Amen. What ex- to what extent must a woman forgive an unfaithful husband? How can she start the forgiveness process? Well, the Bible has said that you can divorce on grounds of infidelity. That's what the Bible has said. And it seems to be the only grounds that God gives us. So, you have that option. But it also has its own repercussions. Whether you can live with the pain, whether you can live with the broken home that comes with it, it has all the consequences, so you must think about that. And even if you divorce him, you still owe him forgiveness. Amen. And the forgiveness is not that he has not done wrong, not that he has not sinned, but in spite of your sin, I let it go because I myself have sinned against God and God has forgiven me. That's where you start from. And then also you need supernatural help. You can't do it on your own. There are certain wounds that only the Holy Ghost can heal. Nothing can heal. So you need to pray that the hand of the master will touch that place and make you whole. And I've seen many women go through that. And some of them tell me, when I look at him, I say, is this this person that made me cry, made me angry, made me feel like driving my car into a wall? Today when I see him, there's nothing. I just look at him in disbelief. (laughs) How come I rode from here to then? Now I don't have any inkling. And I'd rather pray for him. So it's a supernatural thing. And God can bring you to that place. You may also need a support group to help you walk on a difficult road. LP, please. Bishop says you counseled him. How do you do that? And does he listen? (laughs) Well, I think that sometimes you are asked your opinion. You know, and always... One thing that guides me is, what would Jesus do in such a situation? What would Jesus say if he was confronted with this? So I often don't have the option of what I think. I always think, what would God say? And then often I also speak to him with scripture. I don't just talk. I speak to him with scripture. Do you remember the Bible said this and this? So I think that in this case, we should go about it in this way. And when it's scripture... I know that he really fears God. So when it's scripture, that calms him down. But it's not every time that he listens. But it also does not stop me from saying what I have to say. <laughs> because I am not fighting to have my will. I just say, this is what I believe. If he takes it, I'll love him. If he doesn't take it, I'll still love him. And then I flow. <laughs> you see? But it is when you feel that what you have said must be done. And then also when you counsel and then what you have predicted comes to pass, you don't have to say, I told you so. You just smile quietly as if you have not seen. Because they have also learned their lesson. <laughs> Amen. And I'm sure you too, sometimes your husband tells you things, you don't do them. You see, so it's a 50-50 thing. Could you please tell me how to make forgiveness of yourself easy? Forgiveness is the same process. You have to meditate on verses that assure you of God's forgiveness. Uh, Romans 8 verse 1 says, There's therefore now no condemnation to them that do no wrong. No. 
To them that never miss it, no. To them that have never failed, no. To them that are in Christ Jesus. That's the qualification. There's no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. Who walk not after the flesh? Because the flesh, you walk according to your feelings, according to how you feel, but after the spirit. So you have to put your name in. There's therefore now no condemnation for Gillian. Who walks not after the flesh, but after the spirit? I am not condemned. God does not condemn me. You have to say it till faith builds up in your heart. Because faith comes by hearing. And hearing by the word of it. And sometimes, even seeking counsel, somebody will speak into your life and you feel encouraged. You know, one lady said to me, I feel so bad. I'm married, I have children, but I feel bad about my past and all that. You know, I just feel bad. I'm not able to overcome it. And then I shared this verse with her and prayed with her. And she sent me email. She said that, I've been a Christian for years. I've known this verse. But just I was sitting together and speaking and praying. Seemed to have let the thing go. So sometimes you need somebody to help you bear your burden so that you'll get to that place. You have given up your career to support your husband in ministry. In ministry. How was there, was there ever regrets? How can one feel fulfilled in this? You must know that you've given up your career not for your husband, but for God. You need a higher calling. Because if you look here, you'll give up. But if you look there, you'll keep going. Amen. So I gave up my career not for my husband per se, but for God. Also, you must have a personal conviction of your own that God has called you himself. Because on the road to ministry, you will have many chances to want to go away. Many chances to want to change your mind. Offense will come. Betrayal will come. Loneliness will come. Ah, this road that I said I want to walk on, it's not easy. But God will always remind you, who called you? You see, I've told this story many times. When I came full-time ministry, bustling with energy and zeal to do the work of God. And then my husband said, you've been posted to the nursery schools. Oh, I came to preach the gospel, to cast out demons, and to release anointings. Hallelujah. So I wasn't happy, you know. And I tried to get out of the primary school, but nothing was happening. He said, so who should do it? You should do it. No office, some corridor with some table. And I had come from a very structured office. Do you understand? The secretaries are at the end of the corridor. The room, there's no baby there. They don't pull your clothes. But when I came to this primary school, oh, my white skirt, the children, just mucus, anything. They just was, ah, it's this ministry. It doesn't have anything to do with what God has called me to do. I tried to reason with myself, no, 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 that's where you should be. Ah, but who should do it? We need help there. Who should... And then once I went to God, not once, many times, maybe about three times, weeping in the middle of a night, God, this is not what I came for. This is not what you called me to. How can I be here? When the children are speaking, even on the phone, I cannot hear anybody. And I want to do something spiritual. Not something as carnal as looking after children in a nursery. And then God said to me, oh, I see. So who called you? Is it your husband? No. Who called you? You, Lord, you. Ah. So are you not coming to choose and define what you want to No. I tell you, those moments gave birth to great sermons. Because the Lord ministered to me. The Lord said, have you seen anybody I've called that I've not taken through the desert before? 
I said, really? Show me. So Jesus was led into the wilderness. Abraham. Joseph was carried to Egypt. Moses. 40 years. You, your own, is it 40 years? No. Is it 40 days? No, Lord. Will you obey? Yes. Amen. Amen. And so that made me know. I said, look, I need a personal conviction. And I had it. And so every time there's a hard place, I ask myself, why am I doing what I'm doing? It's because I have a God to answer to. And I can't just say, well, I'm just going. You see, church members, they offend me. After all, you're an attorney. You will have the chance to return when you move by these things. But if you have a personal conviction, you cannot move away from it. And then, as if that was not enough, once we had a full-time pastor's meeting, and my husband stood behind the pulpit and said, you know... With full-time ministry, you really need a personal conviction of your own. And I just want to call my wife to give her testimony. I wasn't so amused. (laughs) Because he was the one who didn't change my department. But I knew that God had brought me a long way. And he had been asking me, so what keeps you going? What keeps you at that same place? And I told him, you need a personal conviction. If you don't have a personal conviction, you come because people are coming. You come because somebody called you. You give up. You know, so he gave me the mic and then I shared that you need a personal conviction. Then I spoke about being sent to the nursery and all this. Then Bishop Saki said, hey, it's okay. Forgive us. Forgive us. They were already forgiven. Amen. So you need a personal conviction to keep on following God. There are times when you won't see God's hands. There are times when God will seem to have been lost on the radar. He won't be there like Abraham, you know. You come out, you see nothing. But you have to believe the invisible. You don't have to look at what is visible. And God will bless you. Amen. How can one feel fulfilled in this? By doing it. If God has called you, obey. And when you obey, you will be fulfilled. But obedience also comes with timing. You see, Jesus was there from the beginning of the age. But he was revealed at a certain time. So you may be called, but the revelation will come at a certain time. You know, so I knew that God had called me and all that, but as for the timing, I needed to hear and to know. And I'm glad that I came at the time I came. Because if I had come earlier, I would have thought that maybe, oh, the bishop called me into full-time ministry. But at the time I came, I had settled it within myself as to what I wanted to do. Amen. It was great having you today. To find out more about the resources available by Adelaide Heward Mills, please visit the Vision Bookshop at the Kodesh, North Kaneshi, or meet her on Facebook at Rev. Mrs. Adelaide Heward Mills. For prayer and counseling, please call 0243-187-900. You can also drop us an email at honeyonmylips at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. Until next time, God richly bless you.